As most of you know, we are going through a series on the book of Acts, and this is looking to what the apostles and disciples did following Jesus' resurrection and ascension, and what does it mean to be the early church? Our scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 11. I invite you to read along in your own Bible or read along with me in your bulletin. Now the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John, baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. May God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Um, thank you, choir, for beautiful, beautiful music. I don't know about you, sometimes when the choir sings, I'm ready to go, and sometimes I just sit saying, wow. Um, every song is very different, um, and I'm, we're blessed. I also want to mention that Connor did a piece at 8.30, uh, played the guitar and sang, uh, and that guy's talented. <laughs> and uh, so maybe we'll sneak him in there another time, but uh, we were blessed at 8.30 as well. Um, I want to tell you a story, and then I'm going to talk about the book of Acts, and then I'm going to tell you another story. I just figured I'd let you know what's going to happen today. On January 8th, 2018, it was both a blessing and a curse to go tailgate downtown for the national championship game. I can tell you this story now because Georgia has been redeemed uh, since then. No doubt some of you were there in the rain all day, ready to cheer on the dogs. I didn't have a ticket. I did have a spending limit in my head in case I came across one. And I'll never be proud of that number. Uh, but I really just had to be in the atmosphere. And I'm just curious, was anybody else downtown for that game? Did anybody go? Oh, man, yeah. 
Did anybody go to the one we won? Oh, man. So I want to tell you this. While we were in the gulch, I noticed a nearby tailgate of fellow bulldogs. One family had their little kids with them. And I watched throughout the day as one kid is probably five years old. Whenever Alabama fans walked by, the kid just barked at them. <laughs> Betsy, I was inspired. Um, the more Bama fans that walked by, the more he barked. And as the day progressed, he actually started yelling things at the fans that walked by. Actual insults that were funny to hear from a five-year-old. Everybody was laughing. Even the Bama fans thought uh, it was funny until the little boy got carried away with himself and he yelled one particular insult at some fans wearing Alabama jerseys. And that insult included a word that nobody was prepared to hear from a five-year-old. And I'm not going to repeat it here. Uh, but I watched as that boy's mother got in his face so fast. And I couldn't hear what the mother was saying, but I mean, I know what she was saying <laughs> because I have a mom. And in the midst of the mother's correction, I heard the little boy yell out his only defense, and this was it. But mom, it's Alabama. <laughs> Amen? Um, I, now I assumed the man next to them was the boy's father because as soon as those words were spoken, the man next to him smiled a smile that I can only describe as discreetly proud. <laughs> but mom, uh, it's Alabama. <laughs> It was a tense atmosphere that day. That was a tense game. It was a heartbreaker. UGA versus Alabama. It was us versus them. And of course, that's one little metaphor for all of humanity. Sports, I mean. Human beings, we always find a way to do that. Pick sides, make something into an us versus them. We do it with sports Politics, race, religion, you name it, sometimes it feels like the only reason for it is just to belong to a group and to provide the us with a them. <laughs> and we've gotten so good at it, we even do it without knowing it. Hans Rosling says, dividing the world into two distinct sides is simple and intuitive and dramatic because it implies conflict and we do it without thinking all the time. Us versus them. The scripture for today finds us in the middle of a similar situation that only evolves further throughout the book of Acts. In the middle of the early church, defining its identity, we find ourselves in the middle of a great tension between the Jews and the non-Jews, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. Now, the beginning of our passage puts you right into the fray. Listen to this. Now the apostles and believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. And their first reaction to Peter was this. Why did you go to these uncircumcised men and eat with them? The message says it like this in modern English. What do you think you're doing? Rubbing shoulders with that crowd. Eating what is prohibited and ruining our good name. They're asking Peter, what are you doing with those outsiders. They aren't kosher. They aren't like us. They're likely eating food that was given in honor of the Roman gods. Anyway, we don't mix. So what were you doing with them? Now, you may have already noticed this as we walk through Luke's Acts of the Apostles, but this book is filled with excitement. It's filled with celebration, and it's filled with conflict. 
This is the story of a growing group of Jesus followers struggling to figure out which pieces of their beloved religion and tradition they need to hold on to and which pieces God might be working out in a different way after the new covenant in order that God's mission in the world might be continued. And this incorporation of Gentiles into a traditionally Jewish understanding of the world and of God comes with compromise that some don't even want to talk about, some really push back, and this passage is one of those examples. Peter comes back from a remarkable moment, from an incredibly spirit-filled point in Christian history, and he is criticized, and he's questioned, and he's asked to explain himself. Peter, why were you hanging out and eating with them? And Peter begins his explanation. He tells him, I was in Joppa, I was in Tel Aviv, I was on the rooftop by the bay, I was getting hungry, and I was, I was praying, I was literally about to order some food, and I fell into this interesting, weird trance. He says, I saw a vision, and some of you remember this, a vision of a huge sheet or blanket lowered, and in it were all these different animals, farm animals, birds, reptiles, a lot of animals that Jews weren't allowed to eat because of the Mosaic law, the covenant. And Peter says, I took it all in, it was fascinating. And then he said, I heard a voice. I always, whenever I hear that in scripture, I heard a voice, I always think how acceptable it is in religious context to hear voices. And then anything outside of that, people look at you funny. But this, that's not what's happening here. The sheet is lowered with all the animals and a voice says, go, kill, and eat. To which Peter replies, no. The food is not kosher, but the voice continues, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. The message translates it like this, if God says it's okay, it's okay. (laughs) And Peter says, at that same moment, there was a knock on the door. He didn't even get a chance to process this vision yet. But there they were, three men from Caesarea Maritime, and they told him that that a Gentile God-fearer, a Roman centurion named Cornelius, had sent for him. Actually, they say, he was visited by an angel, a messenger from God, and we were told to come get you. And Peter, Peter recounts, I feel like Peter's saying, I really hadn't planned to go anywhere that day. <laughs> I was enjoying where I was, but the Holy Spirit so moved me to go, and I went and I brought some friends with me. Now, Peter tells the committee who's questioning him that when they arrived at Cornelius' home, they walked in, And the second he crosses the threshold, Cornelius falls down at his feet. And Peter immediately says, get up, stop that, I'm I'm just a man. And when he stands, Peter looks around the room and it's packed. Cornelius' whole family, all of his friends, everybody's there, his, his household staff, all in one room, a room full of Gentiles. And Peter says to this committee, that's when I understood the vision, the sheet, the animals. And Peter says, I told the crowd, you yourselves know that this doesn't really happen. It's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit with a Gentile. But God recently showed me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. God doesn't play favorites. That's why I came. And then Peter asked them, why did you send for me? And Cornelius gets up and says in front of everybody, I heard a voice tell me to send for you. And that same messenger told me that you would give a message by which all of us here 
would be saved. The Greek word there is sozo, to save, to rescue, to heal, to preserve. We were told that you would deliver a message that would rescue us. So Peter tells them the only thing he can think of talking about. He's done it before, and if it ain't broke, Peter tells them about Jesus. About Jesus healing and caring for people. How he was crucified on a tree, how he's raised to life again. And Peter says, we saw him. We ate with him. And the prophets testify that everyone who believes in him will be rescued from sin. And Peter tells this committee, I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell on everybody there. I immediately remembered that Jesus had said he would baptize with the Spirit. And this is the kicker. You ready? The whole story has been leading to this moment, Peter's defense. You remember the question, right? What were you doing associating with those Gentiles, with them? What were you doing there? And Peter's answer to this committee is, he says this, I was led there by the Spirit. (laughs) I kept following the Spirit. The Spirit led me to preach. I saw the Spirit come over those outsiders. And if God gave them the exact same gift that God gave us when we believed in Jesus Christ, in his rescuing of us, in his resurrection, in his new life, how can I object to God? (laughs) After all, who am I? I'm not the judge. I'm just a man. I'm just a vessel for God to do whatever God wants to do. (laughs) Peter gives the committee this answer and there's silence. What can they say? (laughs) What is there to say? It reminds me of Peter's going in front of the Sanhedrin a few chapters ago with the simple defense, we don't follow man, we follow God. I'm reminded of Gamaliel's word to the same group, if it is of man, it will not flourish, but if it is of what? God. (laughs) There's nothing we can do. Peter's simply following the Spirit wherever it leads. He didn't set out to leave Joppa that day. He didn't plan on speaking to a, a house full of Gentiles but he did. And why? Because that's the play that God called. That's the audible. And Peter was was watching. And because Peter was watching, because he was aware of the Spirit, he felt God's tug and he followed. He probably had a schedule for that week, for that moment, for that day, but it changed when God called him and Peter adapted. (laughs) The story of Acts, friends, is that of constantly adapting to new conditions and new circumstances. The Holy Spirit is a spirit that doesn't really go by our book. What's the the phrase? If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) The Spirit is at work all over the place, and the Spirit finds hearts that are willing and curious about what an abundant and Jesus-following life could look like. And when situations arise, the Spirit occasionally calls an audible. And that same spirit calls us to be ready to adapt and adjust at a moment's notice. (laughs) Peter is a disciple of Jesus. But he's also a student in what I call spiritual adaptability, a trust in God and an awareness of the spirit that leads one to adjust life or task to the will of God in the world. Spiritual adaptability, a trust and an awareness. And the interesting thing is, that such an adaptability, a trust and awareness, it can't really take hold in the heart that isn't humble 
that isn't willing to admit that their plan may fall apart or that they may be wrong. Spiritual adaptability requires humility, requires a knowledge of one's own faults and sins. It requires one to know that she or he has only a limited perspective and that God may or may not be doing something that is far outside of our plans. Imagine that. In other words, the world does not revolve around me. It revolves around God's plan of redemption and restoration for this world. And you really have to be a believer in that to trust God, to be aware of the possibility, and to adapt at a moment's notice. Spiritual adaptability. It's straight from Peter, who is so focused and centered on letting people know that there is a path to life and to God that is abundant and kind and loving and gracious and obedient. Peter's adaptability is built around looking out for opportunities whereby he might speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called him out of darkness into light. And Peter's spiritual adaptability is steeped in grace for everybody, for us and them, grace. And why do you think that is? Why do you think Peter is willing to adapt for the sake of God's grace in this world? I'm glad you asked. It wasn't It wasn't long ago when Peter promised his best friend and teacher that he would be with him till the end. Do you remember? It wasn't long ago when Peter looked Jesus of Nazareth in the eye and said, I'm always going to go with you. I'll be with you. Where you go, I go. You can trust me. And it wasn't long ago when Peter did everything he could to deny that he even knew the man. Do you remember? The night when Jesus was arrested and taken before the trial, the night before he would be put to death, that was the same night that when asked if he knew Jesus, Peter said, I do not know him. Three times. And I bet Peter remembers that every day. I bet Peter remembers the feelings of grief and guilt and horror at his own lies and concern with self-preservation. I bet he remembers that. But I also know that he remembers the days after when in the midst of his grief, he decided to go fishing and saw somebody in the distance on the shore who called out his name, that same teacher and friend. And around a fire and a meal, there was grace. Do you love me? Jesus asked, yes, Lord. Peter replied, yes, 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 three times. That day, Peter was given much grace, and I imagine that moment shaped the rest of his life. Because how can it not? And I imagine it shapes his answer when questioned and criticized about the Spirit of God falling upon Gentiles. If God gave the same gift to them as to us, how could I ever object to that? In other words, I will never be an obstacle for God's grace Because Jesus forgave me after what I had done. And because of that, I know anything is possible. I'm willing to adapt when God calls. I'm willing to follow the Spirit wherever because God has given grace to somebody like me. In the 1730s, I said that like I was there, I wasn't. In the 1730s, when they were still young, freshly ordained, 
Charles and John Wesley went to the New World. They went to preach and to teach and to be in ministry in a new colony called what? Anybody? Georgia. And to call it a failure would be a little bit of an understatement. John, would return, John Wesley would return to England with a warrant out for him. And Charles would follow. Both brothers would return to England disillusioned. Not long after, John would have the experience of his heart being strangely warmed. Do you remember that at Aldersgate? By the Spirit of God, he felt something, an assurance he'd never had before. But three, three days prior to John's experience, Charles had his own experience. Charles was ill. He was sick, and he was no doubt down about his brother and their issues in Georgia. He was staying at the home of a friend, and all of a sudden, he heard a voice. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and believe, and thou shalt be healed of all thy infirmities. And Charles would in those moments find a peace with God and hope in Jesus. And he said, I had a strange palpitation of the heart. And in those moments, Charles felt something he'd never felt before. And he couldn't, he couldn't hold it in because all of a sudden he understood the power of grace for someone like him. And it changed the game forever. Charles found a new trust and a new awareness of the Spirit, and he adapted. He would compose two hymns shortly after, one of which has been called one of the greatest of all time. It was originally titled Free Grace. And the hymn he composed was somewhat unusual for the time because it was written for a congregation, but it contained so many first-person singular pronouns, so many me's and I's. It was unusual. But that's the only thing Charles could write down in a moment of inspiration and awe and assurance, in a moment of such an experience of grace. And that hymn captures what I believe is at the center of Peter's being in the story today. This hymn captures the mind of Peter when he began to see God at work in a particular population of people that he'd not really considered before. Charles Wesley's hymn captures the understanding that if God can rescue somebody like me, if God has grace for somebody like me, then who am I to stand in God's way? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? <laughs> Peter, what are you doing at the table with those people? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't plan this, but if God can rescue somebody like me, if God has grace for somebody like me, then I'm sure there's enough to go around. May you know that by grace you have been rescued. You've been saved. You've been loved. You've been forgiven. May you trust and be on the lookout for places and people who need grace. I'm betting they're everywhere. May you adapt to God's plan of grace and restoration, and may you know that if God can do such a thing with you, and such a thing with me, then may you have the faith that God's grace can reach anywhere and anyone. Let us pray.
God, we give you thanks this morning for grace. We give you thanks that you have and are working according to a plan that we cannot fathom. Make us glad and faithful to follow. May we trust and be aware of the places and people who need grace. And may we always remember the question, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? May that question, covered in grace, be our guide in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.